There's research that says that 99.9% of those of us that are U.S. born or foreign born parents go through that retroculturation process, meaning we are raised, especially if you're living in a metro area where there aren't many Latinos around, right? You're raised in this home and you don't want to be Latino because you just want to be like everyone else. So you push away from your roots only to come back to it, typically triggered by a key life event. So it's typically triggered by the birth of a child, the death of a parent, a marriage, a divorce, something happens and you go back to your roots. You are listening to episode 467 of the Latina Mom Legacy podcast. Who is Mari V, the master navigator, and why should she matter to Latinos? What message is this book and TV series character sending first and second generations? In this episode, Latina mom, children's book author and series creator, Maria Twina, helps answer those questions. Join us as we learn about the inspiration behind Mighty V and how she's inspiring immigrant children and adults across the U.S. Discover how retroculturation presents itself in our lives and how it can empower you to create change. Plus, we learn about the new bilingual streaming service Nuestra TV and Maria's favorite Cuban dish that she's already passed down. Yo, a Latina mom, bilingual parenting educator, and now author, Jenny Perez, te invito as we take a closer look. Así que no te lo pierdas. This episode is brought to you by Mondly, the leading language learning app for families. Are you ready to embark on an exciting language learning journey with your child? Well, look no further than Mondly Languages. With Mondly, Victoria and I practice Bulgarian, Italian, and Spanish together, unlocking a world of opportunities. I love it because it's an additional tool that we use to keep language learning fun, and we've been using Mondly for months. The best part is that now I have an exclusive offer just for you, our listener. Get 95% off lifetime access to Mondly when you visit mondly.com forward slash offer forward slash mi legacy. That's mondly.com forward slash offer forward slash mi legacy. Or you can visit the show notes. Don't miss out on this great opportunity. Así que no te lo pierdas. Welcome to another episode of the Latina Mom Legacy Podcast. I am your host, Jenny Perez, coming to you from Jersey. Jersey, whoop, whoop. <laughs> if this is your first time listening and tuning in, thank you for tuning in from whatever corner of the world of the globe that you are tuning in from. On today's show, I have Maria Twina, creator of Mari V, and we're talking about her books, her series, and why it should matter to Latinos and why should it matter to you. But first, I want to let you know what's going on in the community, and I want to tell you a little bit about my Mother's Day. So first, I want to share with you, these are like the events that are going on. So June 1st is our bilingual parenting session that's going to happen on Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific time. So if you have taken your online course, I'm doing it a little bit different. I'm not doing it on a Saturday because my Saturdays are pretty booked this month, or for June, I should say. So I'm going to test it out for uh, June. And we'll give it a go and see if that works for everyone. If you have taken the online course, How to Raise a Bilingual Child Practically, then this is free to you. You're a part of our online community. So this is uh, included, our little coaching and accountability sessions every month. So that's happening June 1st. Thursday, June 8th, at the same time, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, I'm having the free masterclass, Four Steps to Raising a Bilingual Child Confidently. If you missed a last month's or this month's, I should say, if you missed this month's session, you can make up that session on that Thursday. It's a one-hour session with me. It happens live. It's not pre-recorded. And I, you walk away feeling empowered with tools to help you raise a bilingual child. So I hope to see you there. Saturday, June 10th, I will be having a book signing at the Passaic County Book Fair. 
Uh, this is going to happen in Weasel Park in Clifton, New Jersey. That's Saturday, June 10th. I think it's like from 11 to 4. If you are in the New Jersey area and want to uh, stop by, it's going to be fun. They're going to have like 50 authors. They're going to have story time for kids. They're going to have story time for dogs. They're going to have food, crafts. It's going to be a fun-filled day full of activities. So I hope that you can stop by, say hi, and let's chat. It's going to be a fun event. If you want to stay in the know of everything that's going on, you can join La Lista. That's my newsletter. You can join at melegacy.com. That's spelled M-I-L-E-G-A-S-I.com. Or you can go to the latinamomlegacy.com and you can sign up there. You'll, you'll see there's like a little banner on the side that says sign up to get the latest. And that's like the easiest way to kind of stay in the know in terms of what is going on and what's happening. That's it as far as what's going on in the community Mother's Day. So I have to tell you, my Mother's Day was pretty low key. Victoria had Bulgarian school. Why they had Bulgarian school Mother's Day is beyond me, but whatever. <laughs> so while she was there, I went to a coffee shop. I worked for a little bit. And then uh, we had planned to go out to lunch together. But my friend actually called me, my best girlfriend, and they decided they were going to do a barbecue. So we ended up going there for the barbecue. It was fun. Victoria got in the pool and it, it was just lovely to just kind of hang out. And it was pretty mellow, pretty low key. Uh, Victoria was very sweet. She gave me a painting that she did. She gave me this cute little jar with a candle that says, you light up my life. She gave me this amazing picture frame. She gave me a beautiful like handwritten card. She's so sweet. Like this girl. And uh, my husband was away. So I got his gift, which was very nice. And and it was fun. Overall, it was fun. It was just a pretty chill day. You know, I got just got to hang out with my my friends. And by the time you listen to this, I will probably be on an airplane on my way to Florida. My mom is having her heart procedure. Depending on how she does, she may be able to go home the same day or I may have to stay with her. And I don't know how, how long they'll leave her, but we'll see. We'll see. I plan to stay in Florida for about a week to be with her and to help her if anything, you know, if she needs any additional help. And it'll be nice. I'll get to spend my Mother's Day with my mommy. A little late, but better late than never, right? That's sort of what's what's going on. On today's show, I have Maria Twina. Maria is a psychologist. Uh, she's in advertising. She is the creator of Marie V, The Master Navigator. It's a book series. It's a TV series. And we have such a great conversation about representation and how for me, I felt like this is like one of the few characters that I could totally identify with as an adult and how it's resonating not only with children, but with adults like myself, the bicultural, the bilingual generation. It's a great conversation. So espero que te guste and I hope you like it. Nada, I'll talk to you soon. Have a great week. Ciao, ciao. I am so excited to have on today's show, Maria Twina. Maria, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Jenny. Super happy to be here. We are going to be talking about Marie V, the Master Navigator, the books and the series. And I am so excited to get to know a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your bilingual parenting journey. I am the first U.S.-born child immigrants. My parents were both Cuban immigrants. My dad was originally from Seville and my mother was Cuban. I was born in Miami, raised in New Orleans, which greatly informs the a lot of this series for a lot of reasons, and grew up very much in a Latino household and would go to an American school where it was very much the American ethos of independence and being self-reliant. And the culture clash is greatly informs the whole series. I studied psychology in 
in undergrad and then got a graduate degree in film and television and embarked on an agency career. Spent 20 years on general market agency life and pivoted about 15 years ago and really re-embraced my bilingualism, my culturalism, and decided to pursue it professionally and personally to retroculturate, if you will, to my roots. And I'll go into that more a little later. Was there something that happened 15 years ago that was like an aha moment? Yes. I was living in the barrier with my late husband and I came home from the grocery store. He was helping me put up groceries and he said, you know, you never buy the same brand of anything twice. I said, really? I didn't realize that. What makes you say that now? And he said, because I just read a study that said Hispanics are brand loyal. And my response without even thinking about it was to tell him, oh, whenever you read studies like that, they never include me. They're only talking about my parents. And that conversation changed my whole career because the Hispanic market, surely it's changing now, thank goodness. There is a recognition that it is a multicultural with different levels of acculturation. But back then it was just Spanish Dom, Spanish Dom, Spanish Dom. And all the research was about the Spanish Dom. And I never saw myself even in the research. So whenever I'd read those studies, it was always a little wary about what the findings were. I mean, if you dug deep enough, you could tell that they weren't really including those of us that spoke both Spanish and English or had been born here. That whole conversation, when I look back, Jenny, mm-hmm. just changed yeah. everything for me. Because here I had been 20 years in an advertising career, focused on general market advertising, only to the English Americano, right? I mean, any multicultural segment at all. And I'm thinking... How can I have not focused on the bilingual bicultural? Then I really started doing research. I'm a research geek. So I started doing research on, okay, what if I'm not buying because no brand is really connecting with me and I'm not loyal to any brand? Then if you think of the four Ps, what's driving my decision at the point of purchase? Is it the package? Is it the promotion? Is it the price? And I started then doing research with my siblings and my first cousins and everyone I knew that was a child of immigrants mm-hmm. or that had come here as an immigrant child. And I started just asking questions and uncovered a lot of really interesting information. I was working at McCann at the time, which is a big agency network, flew up to New York, was getting ready to embark on another multi-year global program. And I said, no, I want to do something completely different. And I had put together a presentation on the bilingual bicultural. I said, the future for the Hispanic market is the bilingual bicultural and it's all digital. And that's who we need to focus on. And they said, build a practice, go ahead and do it. And so they funded a discipline And it was a small practice, but amazing in terms of the learnings we had and the clients we had that were interested in testing us. And there was so much pushback at the time. It was like, oh, you, why do you need special advertising for the bilingual bicultural? Because you are clearly English language proficient. So we're reaching you with our general market advertising. And my response always was, you are reaching me. You're not touching me. There's no brand resonance. It's it's a media play. It's quantitative. It's not qualitative. So if you can't touch me, you can't connect your brand to me emotionally. So that drove a lot of the decision-making. After that, I was hooked on the bilingual bicultural. And I did a study while I was there with MSN Latino. It was a study across the U.S. studying different levels of acculturation. And my whole objective was for marketers to realize that we are a very important segment in the marketplace and that we need to have programs focused on us. So the study, the thesis was pretty simple and it was really based on my life experience and the life experience of others that were 
were children of immigrants. Our thesis was we matter because we become the Sherpas or the influencers for our foreign-born parents, constantly translating the language, interpreting the U.S. ethos, which is different from collectivism, which is what I think they're informing brand and product purchases at a very early age, mm-hmm. demystifying services and technology, and that it's a role we play our whole lives. And that research, that thesis, that validation in the research is what really launched the whole practice. Now, when all this happened, this was 15 years ago, was that, or was it like 10 years? Yeah, it was 2009. Now, at that time, how old was your daughter? She was 22. Now, prior to that, let's go back to her upbringing, because at this point, all of this is connecting with you. Let's talk a little bit about her upbringing and how you connected your biculturalism and bilingualism with her. Did you raise her bilingually? Well, that's a really good question. I need to go back to my childhood so you can understand my response. So I was raised in New Orleans and we were in a non-Hispanic white neighborhood. There were no Latinos in our school, in our neighborhood. So our goal as kids, the siblings, we only spoke English with each other. And I think we were all really trying to just assimilate and fit in because we didn't fit in. At home, we wanted to be more American. We were more American at school. We were perceived as Hispanic, right? Our parents spoke Spanish to us. So we spoke Spanish to them. We only spoke English to each other. Each other. When my daughter was born, her father was American, non-Hispanic. And I thought, I'm going to give her the choice because I know what I felt in the books. You'll see, you know, when I felt like, oh, I was being focused on because I was being spoken in Spanish. It made you feel like an outsider back then. So when she was very young, we only spoke Spanish to her, my parents, obviously. And when she got to first grade, she noticed that wasn't what everyone else was speaking. And so when she was about five or six, I said, you know what? I want you to learn Spanish. I'm going to speak Spanish to you nonstop. I'm only going to speak Spanish to you. And you tell me when you don't want me to do that anymore. Because I really mm-hmm. wanted to empower her. Mm-hmm. I felt that I hadn't been empowered as a child to make that decision because my mother couldn't speak English proficiently. But I wanted her to have that opportunity. So I spoke Spanish to her for four days. And then one day she woke up and she goes, I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, okay. And so I didn't make it a big deal when we gather with my family and my relatives and my parents. They spoke Spanish to her and she understands it perfectly. She's embarrassed about speaking it, but she understands it and she considers herself bicultural. Let's talk a little bit about Marivy, the master navigator. You mentioned you were born in Miami and you were raised in New Orleans. How did that influence your work as a children's book author? Oh, it was everything, I think. Not seeing a lot of people that were like us and never seeing ourselves in the media. I tell people all the time, I lived between Marsha Brady and Veronica, the damsel in distress in the telenovela series. I wasn't either of them. I was stuck between them. And yet I was overshadowed by both of them because I never saw myself. And I think it's so important for kids to see themselves in literature. I think had I had a book that I could follow or a TV series that I could follow when I was young that represented me and mirrored me and validated me, because ultimately that's what that is, it would have been a different journey in some ways. I would have probably embraced it a lot quicker, right? But because I didn't have that, it does create a sense of insecurity if you're not surrounded by people that are like you and living in an environment where the media doesn't reflect you either. So when I took that journey from a work perspective, 
and went back, I kept thinking I was helping some other kids in some nonprofit work that were also U.S. born Latinas. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to me that they still had the same experiences I had. They were uncomfortable raising their hand at school. They were uncomfortable giving reports in school in English where their American friends were okay. And I I remember thinking clearly one day, wow, these experiences, not only are they universal, but they still exist and they still don't have someone that looks like them or acts like them in literature and in the media authentically, someone that represents them, that someone that you can look at it and read it and say, that was me, you know? And I think that's really important. So I think had I been raised in Miami, to be perfectly honest, or in a metro area with a lot of Hispanics, I wouldn't have had the need to create Muddy Bee, but there was a need to create Muddy Bee. Necessity is the mother of invention. I have this little plaque that says, if you were born into a world that you don't feel like you belong in, then you were born to create one of your own. And that's what Muddy Bee is. Love that. How did you come up with the character of Muddy Bee? And what do you hope parents and children will take away from the stories and the TV series? Great question. The character came up from what I shared with you, working with kids and, you know, reliving my own past and really returning to my roots and thinking, I think my life would have been a lot easier had I seen myself in the media. Someone who looked like me, acted like me. I really struggled with her name for the longest time. I thought, what do we call her? And I landed on Maria Victoria and her nickname is Marie V. And a child asked me the other day at a school reading that I was doing, they were like, why did you call her Maria Victoria? I said, because ultimately she is victorious in embracing her, both of her languages and both of her cultures, which is what I want all of you to do. You'll see that, that that's your superpower. You feel like it's a weakness now, but it will be your superpower. And I called her the master navigator, struggled with that, to be perfectly honest. Like, what do I call her? But I wanted to empower children. I wanted kids to feel like I feel different. And instead of saying, I feel uncomfortable with that, I feel very comfortable with that because that's what's going to make me super special, right? So she became the master navigator because of that. And her stories are very much, they're not autobiographical at all, but they're definitely informed. But what I know that, you know, friends live through, family live through, I created my own stories based on what I know. And one thing that I do know really intimately, as most of us do, is that we talk about the bilingual aspect, but the bicultural aspect is super important too. This conflict between the collectivist ethos of the Latino family, where it's all about interdependence and family first versus the culture we grow up in, which is all about being independent and self-reliant, creates a significant clash when you're a child growing up. I remember it took me 40 years to remember this and to actually frame it in a way that made sense. I would come home from school and if I wanted to act in an independent way, my mom would say, mira que eres egoísta, because she was seeing it through the lens of collectivism. And it took me a long mm -hmm. time to process what that meant, right? Because when we're kids and we're growing up, we don't have the lexicon nor the knowledge to understand that this is a culture clash between two ethoi right? It's not a culture clash of just in my family. This is something much bigger than us. You know, your parents are trying to hold on to you being Latina and you are born here or came at an early age. And what you want most of all is to be Americana. So you've got this massive clash. And I just wanted to put words around it and give kids an opportunity to internalize it in a healthy way. So I have to share with you a couple of anecdotes. First of all, my daughter's name is Victoria. Oh. So when we got to the part where 
She explains what her name is and why they call her Mighty V. She's like, mom, that's my name. And I said, yeah, that's your name. So she felt identified just that they shared the same name. And when we started reading, we read the whole book in one sitting. And actually we read Weekend Ways, which is the second book in the series. And when we were sitting down, I was having flashbacks of my childhood and she kept saying, oh, mom, that's you. She sounds like you. Or, oh, she sounds like me. So I found it very interesting that there were a lot of similarities in terms of some of the things that Maribi, the character, was experiencing as her being as I like to say, ni de aquí, ni de allá, experiencing both worlds. And I found myself like going back in time. Like there's a little scene in the book where they were at church and I was like, oh my God, this is me when I went to church. This was my parents like giving us that look. Like with my siblings, we couldn't say like, because my parents would give us that look and yes. the pinching. I was like, oh my God, that was my mom with the pinching. <laughs> okay. and it was just really funny. And also for Victoria, for her, because we do live in a multicultural home here, but I do bring our Latino culture into the home. And there are just some things that come natural because they've been with you. It's how you grew up. You know, the cleaning of the house on the Saturday. She's like, mom, that's you. That's you. Like everybody's scattering away. I'm like, that's my husband and my daughter. On the I'm like, she's like, see, she's just like you. Oh, that's and so funny. And I found a lot of humor in that. But I also, in watching the show, because we also watched the show together, in watching the show, I looked at her and I asked her, what do you think? And she was very honest and she felt a little sad for Marie V. And I said to her, do you want, would you want to watch this again? And she looked at me and she said, I really like the books, but she's very emotional. And like, there's one scene in the show that really affected her. And I won't give you the details because I want you to go watch the show. But that scene, so she had tears in her eyes. And she said, mom, I don't know if I could watch another show because it's just too sad for me. Uh, interesting. And she connected in that way because she's super emotional. She's super highly sensitive. And I said to her, I said, okay, well, you know, we'll just have to wait for the next episode and see what the next episode is about. But she loved the book. She absolutely loved the book. And I love that it's a way for even multicultural children like my daughter that is taking from being Latina, from being American, from being European, from my husband, that it resonates with her because she feels different. She feels that, you know, she's surrounded by all these different cultures. She's, yes, she likes her hamburgers and French fries, but she also her, that one scene where she's like in lunch oh, yeah. with the arroz and frijoles. And I looked at her and, and she looked at me, she said, yum, that's what I take to school. That's delicious. Why are they laughing at her? <laughs> and I said, see, could some children make fun of other kids because it's not a traditional like sandwich or, you know, pasta or spaghetti that kids take. But she saw, saw that as a very positive thing. So it, it was very interesting for me to see like her reaction to the show, but we definitely applauded and love it. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. What hole do you think Mari V is filling in the media today? I think she's filling a significant one. I think some people have told me, oh, she's kind of like Dora the Explorer. I'm like, no, she's much more than Dora the Explorer. No. Dora the Explorer. <laughs> this is like a... Dora, a in, all, in, in all defense of Dora the Explorer, Dora the Explorer yes. was a little bit of fluff, right? Yes, it is Dora, just... this is exactly, well said, right? Dora was great. She had her place, but this is Dora on steroids because this is the real story of so many of us, right? And I think... 
that's the hole she's filling. There's so much in the media that the media gets wrong. You would think if you look at a lot of the programming, oh, Hispanics are all maids, they're all undereducated, the women, the men are gang members, they're criminals. You hear the political rhetoric that reinforces that. Say, hold on, everybody. You know, these are individuals that are loving and caring and their life experience is different. And one of my goals with MightyB is not just to embrace all of us that are like MightyB, but to demystify the Hispanic family to general market so that they understand this is who we are. And yeah, there are variations of all of this. It depends on your country of origin, your level of acculturation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a first-generation Hispanic household, there are some universal truths that live in there, regardless what country in Latin you came or if you came from Spain, right? Or even your exile status. There are some truths that live in the household. So the goal is to, to fill the gap that I haven't seen filled with the truth. I agree with you 100%. I think the show is very truthful, very honest, and it just represents the inner child in many immigrants or children of immigrants like myself. But also it's a reflection of a lot of the families today that even though we're older, I mean, I'm already in my 40s, but even though we're older, you still have many children of immigrants whose parents do not speak English, uh, children that are just starting to assimilate in a new country, in a new language. And what tends to happen is that we kind of turn a blind eye and pretend that it's not there. But the reality is that it is there and it does exist. And I think this is a great way and a great opportunity for those children to feel seen and heard like never before. Hey, I gotta ask you, are you trying to raise a bilingual child que habla español or have you just given up? Do you feel alone or frustrated in this journey? Do you think your child just doesn't want to learn or you don't have the time? Well, if that sounds like you, then the online course I created, How to Raise a Bilingual Child Practically, is for you. Por fin, a course by a mom for a mom. A course designed with you and your busy lifestyle in mind. One that you can take in the comfort of your home as early or as late as you want that will give you practical tools and take you through this bilingual parenting journey. I'm not gonna lie, I get vulnerable and take you down my own journey raising a multilingual child, but I offer you real takeaway tips, show you how to create and implement a plan that works for you, not fulanito or peranito, and offer you the secret to staying committed, consistent, and confident in this journey. Plus, so much more. So are you ready to take this journey with me? Are you ready to see your child hablar con sus abuelos? Are you ready to hear the words one day, Mami, Papi, gracias por este regalo del español. Yo espero que sí. Visit milegacy.com and click on courses to enroll today. Ahí te espero. Tell me a little bit about Marie B and what is her home life? What is her environment like? Yeah, so Marie V, the books start with her reflecting on what it was like to be in first grade, but she's really like nine, 10 years old. She's young, right? She lives in a multi-generational home. She lives with her sister, Isa, and her brother, who they call Gordo, and her mother, her father, and her abuelita, who she is super close to. She goes to a Catholic school, and she lives in a non-Hispanic white neighborhood. I never share where she's from because I don't want to alienate anyone, right? So it's like, we know that her parents are immigrants, and that's all we know. We know she's the firstborn in this country, and that's all we know. So her other two siblings, Gordo and Isa, came when they were very young. So I want 
wanted to include that generation. So, you know, our parents are the first, because if you come at the age of 10 or older, you're technically a first generation immigrant. If you come at the age of 10 or younger, you're technically a 1.5 generation immigrant. And if you're born here, you're a second. I wanted to include the 1.5 because we are the bilingual bicultural. That's how the segment is looked at from a demographic cohort. And she lives in a lower middle class neighborhood where she walks to the grocery store with her mom and she's very embarrassed because she feels like an outsider uh, when her mom speaks Spanish and she translates for her mom and she interprets for her mom. And one of those roles, Jenny, that we don't talk enough about because it comes loaded with a lot of responsibility at a very early age. And a lot of being adult-like at a very early age. So you have a different type of childhood in the sense that it's greatly informed by responsibility. And that's a big part of her life experience. And she's timid. She's insecure. She's finding her way. She wants her mom to desperately bake chocolate chip cookies, but her mom only makes flying and Latin desserts because <laughs> that's not what she knows. You know, it's all those little points of, you know, her superpowers, her fatal flaws. All of these characters have different superpowers and fatal flaws, and yet all of them make up a lot of what we're all familiar with. The dad is quieter, less emotional, more rational. The mom is more emotional, cares a lot about appearances, which is, again, a core aspect of the That's collectivist my mom. trait. <laughs> it, it is the core aspect of the collectivist trait, right? There's Marianism, there's appearances, because we don't dress for ourselves, we dress for the tribe. And the grandmother is your loving, wise grandmother who always has the right saying to say, and who hides chocolate in her pocket. And when no one's looking, you know, that's kind of your, your push to onward. It'll be okay. And her brother and her sister are, you know, typical sibling. One's into baseball. One knows it all. She's the oldest daughter of the family. Very fatalistic in the sense that, oh, something bad will happen if you do this or if you do that. Very much rule-oriented. So it's a little piece of what all of us, I think, had. It, will it be everyone's story? No, but I think people will see themselves somewhere in these characters. Absolutely. I think we all have that one incident growing up where our parents embarrassed us and where we just wanted to crawl and hide. And my experience was I was in sixth grade in middle school and my dad had suffered an accident. And so he was walking with the cane. He had to like walk with the cane everywhere. So for some reason, he was dropping me off that day. And I told him, just drop me off here at the corner. And of course, he said, Estás loca? No, I need to like take you inside the parking lot. And so I said to him, No, this is fine. Like once we got to the parking lot, I said, You can drop me off here. And he said, Nope, I cannot drop you off here in the middle of the parking lot. So he drove to the front of the school to the handicapped parking space, right? Which was like the main yeah. entrance of the school where all the kids, and if you can imagine, like all these like 12, 13, 14 year old kids walking. And there comes my dad. He's getting ready to park in. And I just remember like saying, oh my God, like he's going to park in the hand again. Everybody's going to think that my dad is disabled. And then I said, okay, dad, I'm going to get out. So he gets out and I said, no, no, no. Estoy bien aquí, estoy bien aquí. And he gets out because my dad had very short fuse. So he gets out como un loco out of the car. 
And he starts yelling like oh, a crazy oh, yeah. man. In yeah. he said, no, es que yo me parqueo aquí. Es que este es mi parqueo porque ahí está el handicap y yo estoy deshabilitado ahora. Usted me hace el favor. And I just remember like slowly getting smaller and smaller as all the eyes were on me. And I said, okay, pa. And I just like, I remember like un perrito with the tail in between their legs. I just like, and I just like wanted to die that day. And I remember that. And I think that we all have that experience, that one experience where parents embarrass us, where we perhaps question why, why did I, why were my parents immigrants? Why don't they speak English? Why can't I be like everyone else? So I think that there is, I have a lot of empathy for Mari B because it's like, I was Mari B. That was me. I just wanted to add that it's amazing to me how much the response I'm getting is from adults who I'm tapping into their inner child. The first person who reached out to me that read the book was a brain surgeon who was an immigrant child and said, this is my story, which tells me there are a lot of wounds that need to be healed. I think there's a lot, there's a vacuum that needs to be filled with good things, right? And yes, the first episode is that, but it also doesn't sugarcoat anything. I mean, I think I wanted it to be, this is reality, you know, and that's why I don't want to say anything else about that. And the second episode will be much happier because you read that second book. It's a lot of fun. And the third thing I wanted to say is as much as this is our story, it is the story of all children of immigrants Mm -hmm. in the sense that I have spoken, like I shared earlier, to various schools and I read the stories and I talk to the kids, which is where you get all the information from. I have in my refrigerator a note from a little girl from New York who I read to her school and she sent me a small note and she said, My name is Rose. I came to the U.S. from India when I was three. I am Maribi. And I've had little boys tell me, I am Maribi. And I had a girl from Egypt, a nine-year-old girl who said, my parents are from Egypt and I came here when I was four. I am Maribi. And the one I want to share with you, which just really touched me, was not too long ago in New Orleans. I was at a school and there was a girl in the back who was raising her hand and putting it down. When I asked, I explained what it is to be bicultural and bilingual. And then, no, these are kids in third and fourth grade. And this girl kept raising her hand and she didn't look ethnic in any way, right? But she kept raising her hand and putting it down in front. And I, when I finished, I saw it went up again. And I said, tell me about yourself. Are you bicultural? And this really surprised me. She said, my dad died a long time ago and my stepdad is is Egyptian and he speaks Arabic all the time. And she said, I am Mighty B. Chrysler was one of my clients and they flew mm-hmm. me to Detroit to do a presentation on the different levels of acculturation and how you start changing from my family to my family and I to me and my family to me. How mm-hmm. that assimilation happens over different, because I have a presentation I do on that. And it was a hundred men. Todo blanco, ningún hispano. I thought this will be a dud, but I prefaced the whole thing by saying, I'm going to speak to you about generations and how we assimilate and become American over time and how you need to market to different generations. But at the same time, I'm speaking through the lens of the Latino audience, but know that this is a universal truth of all children of immigrants. All right. I do my presentation. I finish. There's a guy in the back. He raises his hand, the only one. And he has tears in his eyes. And I spent a lot of time talking about that role of navigator that we have to play Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. it is difficult for us, but we become the Sherpas in the family, right? And he raises, he goes, Maria, my name is Robert. 
you have told me my whole life story and I am in tears. I had never stopped to even look back. He said, I'm going to share something with you that you're the only one in this room that will truly understand. I am the firstborn child of Polish immigrants and I bought my first car when I was 10 years old. Oh my God, Jenny. I was like, oh my God, I know what you did. I mean, he felt like he bought the car. He translated mm-hmm. the papers. He talked to the sales guy. He did everything. Mm. And here was this Americano, Rubio, you know, blue eyes. And you would have never thought he had taken Marivy's journey. Mm. I thought it was so powerful, right? And I think, you know, the sad part is that when you do assimilate and when you, quote, become American, you embrace that lifestyle. Sometimes it takes somebody listening to somebody or perhaps retracing, going back for you to truly understand where you come from, where your family comes from. Because at the end of the day, if you really think about it, we as Americans, we're all children of immigrants. Totally. Oh, totally. Absolutely. A hundred percent. We are all children of immigrants. I understood why it took him. I think we end up living our lives and we never stop to go back and just like revisit it, but truly revisit it. Like, what was my role in my family and what made me embarrassed? And that someone told me years ago when I started writing the stories, they said, it'll be interesting to see where Mighty V takes you. And I had never thought of it like that, but she has brought me back and has made me crack open windows that were sealed tightly. And it's been an interesting journey. You know, I told my mother who's 90 years old and still lives in New Orleans, I told her not too long ago, she was saying, you know, maybe I should have done things differently with all of you kids because I look back now at my life and I think I wanted you guys a certain way and we were in a different country and it was not going to be that way. And I told her with the greatest respect in the world because I love her to pieces. I said, you know, mom, I think part of the collectivist culture teaches you that success is having your kids be like the collective or be like you. And you were raising us in a society where success, parenting success is having your kids out on their own right after college and they've done whatever they want to do. So just the term success And Mm -hmm. so you wanted us to be just like you. And that would have been fine had we still been living in your home country, but we weren't. And we were different people with different life experiences and everything that comes with that. So you have the two books. The first book is called Just Mighty V, The Master Navigator. Is that the first one? No, the first one is called School Crossing. School Crossing. Yeah, because School Crossing is where the crossing into the other culture happens for many of us, right? Like, Truly outside of our family. The second one is Weekend Ways. And the third one, which will come out later this year, is called Home Room. She she finds her power in this trilogy of books and she starts exerting it, which is great. I wanted to do that early for the kids. I want the kids to embrace as much as they can, right? Because it is a journey. There's research that says that 99.9% of those of us that are U.S. born or foreign born parents go through that retroculturation process, meaning we are raised, especially if you're living in a metro area where there aren't many Latinos around, right? You're raised in this home and you don't want to be Latino because you just want to be like everyone else. So you push away from your roots only to come back to it, typically triggered by a key life event. So it's typically triggered by the birth of a child, the death of a parent, a marriage, a divorce, something happens and you go back to your roots. For me, it was a conversation putting up groceries and it was led by a career retroacculturation, which I find fascinating. I've run into a couple of other folks that have had their retroacculturation process happen like that. But when they're younger, you know, I could have taken 
taken French in high school. I mean, Spanish, and I would have gotten straight A's, but I decided to take French because that's what my American friends were taking. And I didn't want to be different. I hadn't come back. That's interesting because I feel like I went back after I had my daughter. Yeah. And like when my daughter was two, that's when I started my company. And the mission has always been to help and empower the mom to raise bilinguals connected to their roots. But it was having her that really prompted all of this because I just felt like I want to be able to pass that down to her and I don't want that to get lost. And I felt like a sense of urgency, like a need to do that because if it wasn't up to me, then how would she get this or where would she get this from? For me, it was that point. Let's talk a little bit about Nuestra TV. Am I saying it right? Is it Nuestra or Nuestra.tv? Yeah. It's Nuestra TV. I always say Nuestra.tv when I'm trying to give someone an understanding of when they go online, just put in Nuestra.tv. But it's Nuestra TV. So I was not familiar with this platform. Tell me a little bit more about this platform and what it does. Yeah, so I joined as mobile, the company that has Nuestra TV, a couple of years ago. And when I was joining, our CEO said, you know, we're going to do a streaming service for the Hispanic market. So I got very involved in that. I didn't want it to be only a Spanish language dominant streaming service. I felt that the opportunity really was to create a streaming service that would touch all generations within the family. 37% of Hispanic families live in multi-generational households. And I know from my own life experience growing up, you know, the battle for what you want to watch <laughs> is tied to the novela TV guide, whatever it is, right? And it was always that the younger ones didn't wanted to watch programming in English, the older ones in Spanish. And it created even a bigger gap, tying this all back to Marie B. That creates even a bigger gap in the family because mm-hmm. everyone's searching for their own sense of community and media is part of community, right? And so mm-hmm. it separates them. So we took the approach of let's create a platform where all will see themselves, where you can watch English programming with Spanish subtitles, Spanish programming with English subtitles, and we'll create original bilingual bicultural programming for the bilingual bicultural, hence Betty B. So objective is to make sure that we have a wide enough umbrella that no one gets left out everyone feels safe. And, you know, we have a lot of things that are going to evolve. This just launched late last year. So we have a long way to go, but we have a clear mission and it's not just to entertain. It's also to educate and to empower the community, which is very consistent with the narrative from Mighty B. I love the platform and the platform is free. Is it going to be free forever? Um, don't know yet, but it's definitely free for a while. And it's free. It's got a lot of great programming and it's going to evolve. There's going to be a lot of other offerings too, which I can't share now, but there will be. So it's a great platform. Indeed. So I encourage you to sign up. You can log in and it's nuestra.tv. Yeah, that's it. You can download the app. We have an app in the App Store. It's Apple, it's Android, or you can go just to nuestra.tv online at a browser and you'll get it. Yeah, you put in your email and then you'll be able to access all the shows and all the content. It does work like a Netflix. So you can create a profile for the adult and you create a profile for the child. Maria, where can listeners buy the book and where can they connect with you? 
Oh, thank you. Yeah. So they can buy the book on Amazon. If you just search for Twina, Master Navigator, or School Crossing, or Weekend Ways right now, they have both books. You could go to my website, wearemightyv.com. I'm rebuilding it, but the old site is there and you can buy it from there. It just links you to Amazon as well. But on the website, you'll see that this website now has just School Crossing information on it, but you'll see testimonials and you'll have a guide for parents and teachers once read the book things that they can ask their kids. Why did things happen to Mighty B like they happened? Why did she behave like this? Why didn't she understand the assignment? To help educate and empower and better serve the community at large. And the show is available on Nuestra.tv. Nuestra.tv, yes. And our social handles, we're on Instagram, Facebook, all We Are Mighty B. I will provide links in the show notes so you will be able to access her books and a link to the show as well. We're doing a fast round of questions. What a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We are back and it is a show tradition that we ask our guests the same round of questions. Maria, this is your fast round of questions. Ready? Ready. What is your biggest struggle as a mom? Biggest struggle as a mom. Well, I work full time. So feeling like I am 100% engaged with what's going on in my daughter's life is my biggest struggle. What is the best piece of advice that you've gotten from a mom or your mom? Best piece of advice I have gotten from my mom, El Tiempo Dira. I will tell. I love that. What Latino dish would you like to pass down to your daughter and why? Oh, I already passed it down and she makes it all the time. Picadillo, which is Mm. like rice with picadillo favorite. So what is picadillo for those that do not know? I know what picadillo is. Yeah, so picadillo is basically a ground meat dish where the trick, according to my mother, is to mix equal amounts of pork, turkey, and red meat. And you make a sazon with onions and garlic and green peppers, et cetera. And then you cook this meat and it becomes very, you know, you break it down into teeny, teeny pieces and you pour it over rice and you throw two fried eggs on top or some black beans on the side and you've got arroz con picadillo. Delicious. Now, question, because everybody makes a difference and makes it differently. Yeah. Con pasas o sin pasas? Oh, yeah, that's the million dollar question because my mom always puts raisins in hers, right? And some people like my daughter doesn't like raisins, so she always takes them off. So yes, that's the million dollar question. I would say (laughs) compasas. How funny. What Hispanic home remedy do you swear by? God, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Vix Vaporu, but let me see, which one do I swear by? Yeah, you know, I'm going to say that one. I got to tell you, I I, I think, fix, yeah, fix paper rub. I think that would be it. What has been a piece of financial advice that you've gotten as a Latina that has helped you? Oh, what piece of financial advice? I think, save early. I think that my dad was big on that, you know, just put on 401k early in your career. You won't think about it until you're much older, but you need to start doing it now. Un poquito, every month you have to. And I think that was sound financial advice. Yeah, a little bit goes a long way over time yeah. for sure. Yes, yes. Maria, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, I really want it to be that I helped children primarily secure a sense of validation in society by mirroring their life experiences. That's what I want my legacy to be, especially Hispanic kids, but really all bicultural kids. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Once again, where can my listeners connect with you? 
Oh, thanks, Jenny. Oh, yeah. You know, you can email me at maria at wearemightyv.com and you can engage with the content I have on the website at wearemightyv.com. There you have it. Once again, all the links will be in the show notes. So be sure to check it out. And I really encourage you to go buy the book. I love the book. Victoria loves the book. And uh, it's a wonderful read for your kids. And it's bilingual. It has English and Spanish and it's a wonderful read. So go check it out. Maria, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks, Daddy. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Maria, for sharing Muddy B with the world and empowering Latinos in the U.S. through representation in media. What is retroculturation and how does it present itself in our lives? Retroculturation refers to the process of individuals or communities reconnecting with, reviving, or re-embracing aspects of their traditional culture or heritage that may have been lost or diminished due to assimilation or acculturation to a dominant culture. Retroculturation often occurs among diaspora communities or minority groups who seek to preserve and revive their cultural heritage as a means of preserving their identity, promoting cultural pride, and maintaining a sense of belonging. It can involve activities such as language revitalization, traditional art forms, cultural celebrations, ancestral knowledge transmission, and the preservation of historical artifacts. It allows individuals and communities to reconnect with their roots, celebrate their unique cultural expressions, and pass them on to future generations. Here at the Latina Mom Legacy, we support your family's retroculturation journey and hope to inspire you to create a legacy your abuela would be proud of. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Latina Mom Legacy podcast. Como siempre, mil gracias. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at the Latina Mom Legacy or at Mi Legacy. You can also sign up for La Lista and stay up to date with everything that's going on by simply clicking on the show notes in your podcast platform or visit the latinamomlegacy.com and click on today's episode. You'll also find links to today's recommendations and show special. Finally, want to support this podcast? The best way to show your support is to write a review. Reviews are a way the podcast can get visibility and power other moms like you to connect, create, and carry on our Latinx heritage. Un beso, un abrazo, y hasta la próxima. Ciao, ciao. What do you want your legacy to be?